Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, again, happy Canada Day, everybody. So glad that you're here on Canada Day. Happy Canada Day to all of you meeting up in Port Perry and in Bowmanville. I was reflecting on this. I was driving home last night from the Muskokas and thinking about our great country. We are the land of maple syrup, it is true. We are the land of poutine. I had some this week, so I feel incredibly Canadian. We are the land of bad coffee, and we argue about how good it is, but it is bad if you've traveled to Europe. We are the land, though, that has given the gift of butter tarts to the world, which is a gift, and they should have raisins in them, just saying. No, ah, see, there we go. Uh, excellent. We are the second largest country. All the Americans watching or people in New Zealand are like, what are they talking about? Don't worry, it's okay, you'll have them in heaven. Um, uh, we are the second largest nation on earth, and we are the most apologetic nation ever. We say sorry about everything. Sorry that we showed up. Sorry that we left. We're sorry that we're in the room. We're sorry when you're right and when you're wrong and everything in between. We just don't want you to feel alone. And as I traveled over 40 countries, I found that most people view Canadians not as uptight as British people and not as chaotic and sort of intense as Americans. We're just sort of nice. We're just sort of in between. And I was laughing because I had forgotten that this weekend was Canada Day, and I was smiling when I was preparing and praying over this message and this theme that had been picked months ago, because today we're going to talk about this. How does God encounter and save nice people? See, last week we started this summer series called Heart and Soul where this whole summer long we're going to be focusing on stories of encounter and conversion and, and how do people truly meet God genuinely, relationally, intellectually, and, and not only just meet Him, how do they walk with Him? And last week we started with the story that some of us have that we met God through our families and in Christian homes and the faith was passed down and we talked about how significant that is and important it is and how it's not second class or lesser than, but today we're going to talk to another group of people, good people, religious people, spiritual people, nice people. In 2012, I preached a message like this and I started it with these words, in the suburbs people tend to live two ways. There's live fast, play hard, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. And then the most of us is good, kind, be a neighbor, don't do too much bad, don't do too much good, do family, do work, have fun, fill your life with entertainment, love if you can find it, and just live. And then there's all the shades of gray in between. Be a little good, be a little bad, be a little of both. And that is why the life of Jesus and, and the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the call of Jesus are so unbelievably threatening to all of us. Jesus comes and says to the live fast and party hard people and then the good and kind and sort of religious and very Canadian and polite, socially involved, I give to the United Way and I always believe in never interrupting or I always stand perfectly in a Tim Hortons line to those people there is no difference between any of you when it comes to meeting God. And, and many of us who are nice and kind and, and Canadian, we say, excuse me, I'm not like those people. I'm a very kind and good person. And we begin to pull out our list. See, here's what we need to begin to wrestle through today on this Canada Day. And even though it's a long weekend and unbelievably hot, there is someone within the sound of my voice today 
that this is you. The hardest person to bring to Jesus, those that find Jesus the most unreasonable are good, nice people. Good, moral, kind, nice people, whether you're secular or religious, find Jesus so hard to meet and accept when they really begin to understand his gift but also his call. See, Jesus says being good and being kind and being religious and giving to the United Way and, and, and being an amazing parent, if you are one in your school, does not allow you, does not give you access to God at all. There is no key in your hand to open this door. Now, those things might be good, and oh, by the way, let me say this as I get going uh, today, it is incredibly important that we have niceness in our culture and goodness in our culture. Our culture and all cultures, it seems, globally are collapsing because people are not even hospitable anymore. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they are not eternal life-giving. They don't pierce heaven. I've preached out of this passage many times in this church, but let me again say what I've said before. The average Canadian person, actually the average person probably live, listening wherever you might be on earth, fundamentally in their core believes that if I'm good enough, nice enough, kind enough, then God will like me and love me. And we have this image in our mind of a scale that if my good works and my kindness outdoes my bad stuff on earth, then if there is a God out there somewhere and I die and I meet it or him, then when that happens, my good will outweigh my bad, and then whatever that thing is will be okay with me. We fundamentally believe that we're good enough and kind enough and nice enough, and the scale idea is how most people function. And that is why Jesus' words, even if you're not a Christian, Jesus, the most influential figure in history, are so offensive and piercing and when you listen to what Jesus just says, it seems almost too simple. It's into this very situation. It's on this Canada Day, Jesus comes. And remember what the book of John says, for God so loved the world, everyone. I love this because Jesus meets all sorts of people, good people and great people and dark people and terrible people and, and broken people. But it's good people that think everything is right and it's incredibly wrong. Now, when we search the scriptures to wrestle, to find a genuine encounter where Jesus sits with a person that is really good and kind and even religious, but is lost all at once, it's found in probably the most famous passage in the whole Bible, John chapter 3. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn there virtually or physically, or it will be on the screens at all our sites. It, it starts like this, John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was Nicodemus. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So now John is unfolding this narrative, and if you read John chapter 1 and 2, there's been like hundreds or thousands of people, and now John focuses us right down just to one person named Nicodemus. And most of us would read this verse and keep going, but the description of him is going to make today's call to believe and to understand and to encounter, to have heart transformation, powerful, clear, crisp, even convicting. There are three things you need to know about Nicodemus. One, he's a Pharisee. Number two, he's part of what they call the ruling council. And later in verse 10, Jesus will call him something. He'll call him one of Israel's teachers. Now, why does that matter? Well, this guy is amazing. I mean, this guy is a really good guy, and he does not understand his need. So first of all, he's a Pharisee, and if you've done church for a while, as I've joked many times before, they get a really bad rap. We even sing songs against them if you grew up in some churches. But don't miss this. 
Pharisees were really good people. And in most places 2,000 years ago in Jewish communities, they were viewed as better and more religious and more honest and more helpful than most other leaders. They were looked up to. Pharisee simply means a separated one. They were known as lay preachers and scholars, and their whole life, listen to this, was about ordinary people. They had no time for religious games and the systems of the wealthy and the elite. They lived with and they hung out with everyday people, with everyday neighbors. They were the ones sitting at Starbucks and Tim Hortons talking about faith and, and, and talking to your kids about God. And, and they were the ones that would be in the field beside you plowing or going to the doctor's office. They weren't super wealthy. They, they were super committed, but they weren't part of the elite. And they had no time for power games. But their life was interesting. Their life was trying to live according to the Old Testament and obey every single law that had been revealed. But then they did something more. They were so concerned that they were going to break God's heart and God's law, they invented this thing called the oral law. So they invented hundreds of other laws that aren't found in the Bible, sort of to build fences so you wouldn't even actually go to the wrong place. You know how if you own a swimming pool, there's a law that you have to have what around it? You have to have a fence around it. Well, what they decided to do is they said, you know, the municipality spiritually only has one fence near the pool. We're going to set up 425 plus more, so you'll never, ever get close to jumping in the pool and drowning. But that became the problem. Their life became outward and not inward. It started leading to pride and the fact that ordinary people didn't even just have the time or the inclination even to learn, let alone practice, not just God's laws, but all of their laws. And, and so it started leading to this spiritual vanity thing. But the real sad thing is these amazing people who were really good started trusting in what they did, not who God was and not what God wanted to do in them. They started slowly drinking the poison called religion and didn't experience regeneration. Religion, not relationship. Religion, religion not heaven-given rest. And so Nicodemus is one of them. But he's part of the Jewish ruling council, and I've taught this before in our community. It's called the Sanhedrin. It was made up of the Jewish high priest, the priest class, and the scholars. The greatest minds of law and Jewish faith in history actually were there. And by the time we get to the story, the Roman rulers had given the Sanhedrin authority over every single Jew living on earth. They had their own court system. So like I've shared before, the Sanhedrin is like a parliament mixed with a Supreme Court and a Jewish version of the Vatican all rolled into one. And lastly, he's called Israel's teacher. What does that matter? He was one of the best religious thinkers of his day, a serious thinker, a guy who had real questions and real answers, at least one PhD, maybe two. So he's smart and he's religious, he's a lover of truth, and he loves people. Educated, religious, committed, looked up to, a mentor. Everyone would point to Nicodemus's life and say, that guy, that guy's the real deal. Look at what he gives. Look at what he teaches. Look, look how he hangs out with everyday people, though he's so smart. And, and he, know God, he knows God, and he, and he reflects God, and he understands God. I mean, that guy's a, a model for us, not just in society, even religiously. And he's a good guy. I'm sure that God is so impressed with him. I'm sure impressed with him. And if anyone knows God on earth, it's got to be this guy. I mean, this man is amazing. Now, here's the scandal of the story. This man is about to come face to face with the God he has spent a lifetime praying to, reading about, teaching, 
following and representing. He's about to come face to face with Jesus himself and find out the truth that all of his nicety has done nothing for him. Now you're like, hold on, how did we just you know, jump from God to Jesus? Oh, don't forget this is in the book of John. We learned this earlier as a church in our Trinity series this year, but remember how the book of John begins. Oh, in the beginning was the Word. We know that's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word, what? Was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. And so Nicodemus is about to encounter God in flesh. The conversation begins like this. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, oh, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. I mean, no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God was not with them. Now, I asked this in 2012. I'm going to re-preach it now. Why at night? Due to fear? Maybe to guard his reputation because Jesus was considered dangerous and an agitator. He's a prominent man. Maybe he couldn't be seen, to such a, seen with such a threat to the institution. Maybe he was a seeker. Maybe he was there on behalf of other religious leaders to seek, to bring peace, to make sure that an open confrontation wouldn't happen again. Because if you read John, there's already been an all-out fight in the temple. Well, we don't know why, but here's the thing. He comes at night, and he says to Jesus, listen, I want to start with respect, so I'm going to call you rabbi. This is a term of deep respect. I know you've come from God. I know you're the real deal. I see something in you. I mean, your actions, your miracles, you've you got to be from God. It's the signs that start the conversation for Nicodemus, not the teaching. But Nicodemus has no clue the one sitting in front of him is the God he worships. Oh, by the way, this is the same of all religious people right now on earth. If you traveled the world or just walked across Toronto and talked to people from different faiths, they all hold Jesus in high, res- high regard. Every Muslim on earth will tell you that Jesus is highly honored and is not due worship, but should be highly regarded as the great prophet. Buddhists will tell you he's an amazing teacher and obviously had this understanding, and other New Agers will call him enlightened. Even secularists will say his moral teaching is worth listening to and amazing. Others will say he was sent from God. Others say he's just the most moral example we have. But see, Jesus will not let people stay there. He didn't 2,000 years ago. He won't let them just stay with the miracles alone or the amazing alone. See, it's almost like Jesus cuts off Nicodemus halfway through a statement, and he replies and says these words in verse 3, I tell you the truth. By the way, if you read Scripture, anytime Jesus says, I tell you the truth, stop and highlight it because he's about to say something impactful. No one... That's a global statement. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus says you cannot be part of the kingdom of God unless. He draws this very thick red line and says, unless this thing happens to you, you never get to know God. Now, what's the kingdom of God? We've learned this before. The kingdom of God is about reign and rule. It's God's rule and action. It's any place or space where God's saving work and lordship is accepted. And it's not the nation of Israel, and it's not Canada, and it's not the church. You're not in that space unless you are born again, reborn from above. Anyone who wants to truly meet God must be born in a radical new fashion, a second birth from heaven. Now think about birth. Most of us don't. Birth is not something you can do to yourself. You don't declare, I will be conceived today. None of us could say, I'm going to get ready for my birth. Our existence and our literal physical birth was the decision of someone else. 
Why does that matter? Because our world in all of its forms teach that salvation and encounter and purpose in life are in our hands, and yet Jesus comes along, the greatest influencer in history, and says this, actually, salvation is never in your hands. It's a God deal, and, and God starts the process, and he brings us to life, and he gives us faith, and he gives us relationship. It's gift from start to finish. It's all a miracle. It's another one making us exist. So Nicodemus, you think you're part of God's kingdom because you're a Jew, right? Oh, right, and, and you've got actually the Old Testament, right? And you're deeply religious, right? And you're actually a pretty good guy, yeah, and you, you do lots of things that prove that you're a member of kingdom, the kingdom of God. Hold, hold on, I just got one question for you. It's just simple. Have you been born again? Jesus' words would hang in the air with Nicodemus. They hang in the air now, and they hang in the, air, hang in the world and in the air of the world all the time. See, Nicodemus' response is really telling. Either he really doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it or he's avoiding the conversation. And this is what Jesus hears back from Nicodemus. He says, this is ludicrous. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely you can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. See, he's asking real questions, not understanding, not buying in. And one, one description I found so long ago of Nicodemus is so helpful to us. Nicodemus is a bundle of doubts and uncertainties and wishes and hopes and fears and habits, good and bad, built up throughout the years. It would be wonderful, he's thinking, to break the past and have a fresh beginning for real. But how can that possibly be done? Nicodemus says, can physical birth be repeated? Since this lesser miracle is impossible, how could we start envisioning a much greater miracle, the remaking of a person's essential being? This is, regeneration is sheer impossibility. Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. Now, what we need to do is we need to sit back for a moment and remember that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and there was religious language that was common that we missed. So we got to ask the question, what does of water and of spirit mean? Because Jesus has just said, you don't get to know God or have eternal life or anything unless you're born of water and spirit. So what does that mean? Well, some people said, oh, he, he, what they're saying is you got to have John the Baptist baptism, and then you meet Jesus. Well, no, that's not implied in the whole text. Others say, actually, no, what this is teaching is, this really is a foreshadow of Christian baptism. You, you got to get dunked, and then you get the Spirit. Well, no, that violates what we learn in Scripture, because faith is not about actions. It's a, about a gift. And then you start reading stuff 2,000 years ago with Pharisees, and you realize it's an illusion. It's a metaphor. Because water, especially in religious terms for Pharisees, was sperm or semen, words you didn't expect to hear today at church, I know. Or it has to do with literally when the water breaks and a baby comes out. And here is actually what Jesus is saying. Whether it's conception or the water breaking, this is what Jesus is teaching. He says, yes, you, we all need to be physically born, conceived and literally water breaking and we come out. But here's what we need to understand. That's not enough. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit of God gives birth to the Spirit. In other words, there is no evolution from physical birth to spiritual birth. You cannot use the power of you, the power of religion, the power of good works, the power of niceness, the power of education, the power of psychology or science to meet God personally or be in right relationship. None of that stuff per se is, done, uh, is wrong, but it does not open the door. 
Years ago, it was that famous pastor, Chuck Swindoll, who simply said, religion is man-made. Religion is of the physical realm, impressive on earth, rubbish in heaven. So Jesus, that night under the stars, looks at the man he's made, this really good, kind, giving to charities, the type of guy you want in your neighborhood, sincere man, and said, you should not find it surprising that I'm telling you, you must be born again. And as I've preached in the last two years, this is when the bomb drops. And don't miss the offense of Jesus. Don't miss the call of Jesus to this good, moral, kind, religious person. No one, no one, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Baha'i, Sikh, Wiccan, Satanist, atheist, agnostic, spiritualist, fill in the blank, those who are Christian, no one can experience the reign of God. No one can have a relationship with God, no matter history or race or religious acts, your theological learning, your spiritual insights, your doubts, uncertainties, wishes, hopes, fears, habits, none of it opens the door. They're not all evil, they just don't save you. Jesus says, hey, Nick, you, you know God's will, right? Yep. Yeah, you're actually better off than most of the world because you've got the Ten Commandments and you've got the Torah and you've got the prophets, Genesis to Malachi, and, and, and unlike the rest of the Roman and Greek world and what they used to call barbarians, you've learned God's Word since childhood and you know who God is and there's only one God and you know what His will is for the world and for your family and you can discern right from wrong because you have God's Word and it makes you superior, right? Oh, and Nick, you think you're far, far beyond the ignorant masses of, of, of Romans and all those other people who flock to idols and demons because you're Jewish, you're circumcised, and you've got God's mark, so you're good, right? No. No, no a real person that knows God doesn't trust in what they have because they cannot do it all the time. Oh, God is perfect, Nicodemus, and you know that, and He demands perfection, and you need heaven to change you because your best efforts, at Nicodemus, won't cut it, no pun intended, like literally... It just doesn't matter. And here's where the bomb really drops for all of us on this Canada Day. If Nicodemus isn't going to make it in, how in the world would any of us make it in? I told this in 2012. There's a really famous Arabian story. It's a version of Chicken Little from our culture, my culture that is. It tells of a young Arab who was traveling along the road on his donkey when he came upon a small fuzzy object lying on the ground. He dismounted to look closely and found a sparrow lying on its back with its scrawny legs thrust upward to the sky. At first he thought the little sparrow was dead, but on closer investigation, it proved the bird was very much alive, and the young man asked the sparrow if everything was all right, and the sparrow replied, yes, everything's fine. And the young man said, well, what are you doing lying on the ground with your backs, on your back with your legs pointed to the sky? And the sparrow responded, well, he had heard a rumor that the sky was about to fall, so he was holding his legs up to support the sky. The young man said, well, you surely don't think you're going to hold it up with those two scrawny legs. And the sparrow, after a very solemn moment, retorted, well, one can only do their best. See, that's what the world really looks like. And Nicodemus, the best of us as an archetype, looks like the little sparrow. Jesus keeps going. He says, you know, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Oh, you hear its sound, but you can't tell even where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is everyone who's born with the Spirit. In other words, God is on the move, and God saves and redeems and transforms. It's unexpected, and it's powerful, and it's consuming, and it never starts with you being good or moral. And by the way, the Spirit of God is blowing in this church today. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus responds quite sharply, well, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? And the penny again drops. 
See, he's desperately pulling out everything, philosophy, theology, religious background, good works, his family pedigree, and he's saying, look, look, this has got to be good enough. And Jesus is starting to begin to teach this man, faith informed trust is the thing that opens the door, not good works. Good works come out, come out of after the encounter. They keep the relationship healthy. They never give you new life. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. This is Jesus speaking. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then if you, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, and that is the Son of Man. Now this is huge. Because at this very moment, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, we're both Jews, Nicodemus, and we know God's history. And we know that no person has ever ascended into heaven. We know that Satan was kicked out of heaven when he tried taking heaven over. And we know that the story in Genesis tells us at the Tower of Babel, humanity with one voice and one language decided they did not need God. So they built a tower trying to pierce heaven and God stopped them. And then he looks at Nicodemus. Can you feel it over that coffee that night? And he says to Nicodemus, but Nicodemus... My authority comes from heaven, and I've got more authority than you, and I've got more authority than all the books you've ever read or written, and I've got more authority than the temple, and I've got more authority even than the Bible in your hand. See, here's what I'm trying to teach you. Humans cannot physically ascend to heaven. Humans can't spiritually ascend to spirituality. God can come among us, and God can come as a man, and that's what I'm actually telling you, Nicodemus. That's me, and in just case you're missing what I'm saying, I'm going to throw this down. I am the son of man. Now, right there, Nicodemus would have freaked out. You're like, son of man. Yeah, I'm a son of a man. No, 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 no. See, he immediately knew what he was claiming. And here's what's so offensive, so shocking, so radical, so life-giving. This 33 or 32-year-old, uneducated, son of a carpenter, unaffirmed, backwater leader was claiming that he existed before he was born. I come from heaven. And not only that, then he says something more powerful. He says, I am the one that every Jew has been waiting for for thousands of years. I'm your guy. And when he throws out the Son of Man statement, it's to get Nicodemus' attention. Why? Because in the book of Daniel, there's this prophecy, this statement in Daniel 7 where God predicts the coming of someone. Let me read it to you. First, sorry, it's Daniel 7, 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like what? A son of man. And he came with the clouds of heaven. So he comes from heaven. And he approached the ancient of days. That's a name for God. And was led into God's presence. And this son of man was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And notice the language. All peoples. That means every nation on earth. Uh, men of every language will worship him. His dominion, his kingdom, his reigning is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. And the Son of Man supposedly has proximity to God and even gets to share in God's worship and have God's authority, which says that he's more than just a human because you can't have God's worship and authority and not be God. And so he says to Nicodemus, I am that guy. 
And before Nicodemus can stand up or throw his coffee at him or freak out, Jesus keeps going and he throws another thing at Nicodemus that would come so close to his heart in verse 14. Then he says, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now this really matters. You're like, I am totally lost. It's okay. Nicodemus is not lost at all because what Jesus does profoundly in this moment is he pulls out another Old Testament experience. When the Israelites left Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land, a really bad moment took place. And it's found in Numbers 21.4 and I'm just going to read it for you. They traveled, this is the Jewish people, they traveled from Mount Or along the Red Sea to, to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. And they spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. And God, notice this, sent venomous snakes among them and bit the people and many Israelites died. And the people came back to Moses and said, oh my goodness, we've sinned when we spoke against God and against you. Would you, Moses, go and pray that God will take the snakes from us? So Moses prayed for the people, and here is this weird thing that God commands Moses to do. He says, make a snake, it's made out of bronze, put it on a pole, and anyone who's bitten will look upon that pole and will live. And so Moses made this bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by a snake would look at it and would live. Now we know that what these snakes are, they would bite you, you'd go into a terrible fever, and you'd die. And here's the amazing thing, if you were bit, supernaturally, you'd look at that pole and you'd be instantly healed. And this is what Jesus is saying to one of the greatest religious minds of his day. So just like those Jews thousands of years ago only had to look up at the pole and they would be healed, they would only have to trust in God's work so they would be healed. So Nick, look up at me. It is me that you need to trust in and I'm about to be lifted up and when you look upon me, that's how everything gets right. And by the way, Nick, I'm gonna be lifted up and I'm gonna die on a cross. And so to be born again, that is to be born from above, to know, to be forgiven by God, to have all your sin wiped away that you've done against God, even as a good, moral, kind, righteous, uh, you know, loving person, all you must do is look at me and stop looking at you. Do you hear how offensive that is? Jesus is sitting, literally, it'd be him like walking across Canada on Canada Day and meeting all these sincere people and just saying, oh, by the way, just so you know, you keep looking at you so you're lost. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you're a great professor at U of T. You're still lost. Oh man, I know that you are like one of the top leaders at the United Way and you, you're just still lost. Oh, I, I know, I know that you have actually been part of the UN as a Canadian fighting for people to actually be okay globally in the refuge. And that's great. And thanks for doing it. By the way, you're still lost. Because any time a human being looks upon themselves or looks upon another God or looks upon religion, you are lost because you are still trusting in who? You. Jesus says, new birth comes from a simple gaze of informed trust, not perfect faith. Now what's so beautiful about this passage when John is writing this is the conversation fades and we don't know what happens at this point with Nicodemus. But it moves from one person and he literally pulls the veil back and says and writes the most famous verse in history. For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, die of the snake's bite. Isn't that interesting? But have eternal life. And people love John 3.16, especially Christians in America at their football games, right? But no one keeps reading the next group of verses. And we need, we need to do it. And I'm begging some of you today because some of you here, this is your story. But you need to keep hearing what Jesus says. Uh, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. No. To, to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already because they will not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. Well, this is the verdict. This is heaven's view. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed for what they really are. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what he or she has done has been done through God. See, here is the beauty, the scandal, the offense, and the truth of Christianity. Jesus is the only Savior given to humanity because he's the only one that ever came from heaven. No other person in recorded or unrecorded history existed before they existed. Jesus did. If you trust in any other thing, any other leader, any other religion, anything else other than Jesus for abundant life and eternal life, then you must replace Jesus and be lost. These solemn words forever exclude the possibility and remove the idea that salvation and encounter with God and genuine spirituality and purpose in life and hope beyond death is ever found by human merit or or, uh, allegiance to another faith. You will be forever removed, forever hidden from God, condemned if you trust or believe or hope in, if you have confidence in anyone else or any other action other than Jesus. You must be born again. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean like, well, yeah, I I think Jesus was some historical guy and I accept the historic fact that Jesus lived at some point? As one person wrote, does it mean that you admire him? Yeah, he's pretty cool. I'd like to hang out with him a little bit. Maybe you are inspired by a few things that he taught, like love your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, we need more of that. I'm with Jesus on that. Or even like, I want to really become sort of more like him. Does it mean you have warm feelings about him? Does it mean you give time or money to please him so he really likes you? See, no. All of those things I just said are good, actually. Some of them even necessary. But that's not where you start. That's not where we start. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ, this is what you're really declaring. I know him. I've met him. I, I trust in him. I, I, I've, I have placed my, live, my, my life in his hands. Everything I know about life and what happens during my life and what happens right when I die and right happens after my death depends on Jesus alone. That's what it means to believe. The Bible is so clear that many people, when they face God, will argue with God. But don't you know what I did for you? 
Didn't you know I cast out demons or I, I was so, can, can you hear the conversations that so many people are going to have with God? But I was a good dad. I tried my best. And, you know, I, you know, I, I gave to the Salvation Army and, um, you know, I, I didn't cheat. I didn't have an affair most of the time, for real. And this whole list will come out. This whole list will come out. And Jesus will say then like he says now, you must be what? Born again. Anytime you say, but I'm good, I'm kind, I'm nice, I'm spiritual, I'm religious, God says, not enough. And so on this amazing Sunday in Canada, where we live, by the way, in one of the best countries on earth, and not just because we're patriotic, because the UN keeps raiding us, Vancouver and Toronto, the first and second best cities on earth to live in. If you're complaining, stop it. You've got the best thing. But if this is it, Jesus comes to Toronto and says, but you still can be lost. How do you cross the line of faith and move from just an idea of being moral to encounter? Well, you have to accept who Jesus literally is. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. You need to say, you know what? He is God in flesh. And you don't just acknowledge who he is. You need to acknowledge what he's done. You have to say Jesus was lifted up. He did physically die on a cross. He did deal with my sin. He did come back to life physically. And you have to say, I will not trust in me or good works. I'm just going to trust in Jesus alone. I'm going to look up at him and say, heal me because I can't heal myself. All the good works come later. They're how you date well after you're married. They don't get you in the marriage in the first place. So here's the question. Here's the decision on this incredibly beautiful weekend. For you that are good and kind, maybe religious, I mean, maybe you have come to this church for years, or another church, or another, a mosque, or a synagogue, or fill in the blank. To you who are the best of the best in Canadian culture, will you choose Jesus or will you actually choose pride? If you have no pride, his words are freedom. You'll see what a burden it is trying to truly find purpose in your life and, and, and meet God and all of that. But if you hold pride out, Jesus' words are offensive to you. But God says to you on this beautiful long weekend, just so you know, all you trust in will not last. So let's take a moment. Could we do this? Wherever you might be listening to me, could everyone just, just bow their head, close their eyes? Uh, don't start thinking about other things, please. And, and if it's you, and you've never truly said to Jesus, I need you to do all the work for me because I can't, then this is what you pray. Jesus Christ, I'm a pretty good person. And you've just told me that though I'm good and kind and nice, I'm still lost. So I'm going to admit I'm lost. I'm going to admit I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm going to admit I need you to make me born again, born from above. You have to do something for me. So I'm going to admit I'm a sinner. I've done lots of things that aren't right. I'm separated, and I'm going to trust in you, Jesus Christ, to save me from my sin 
and help me reconnect with God the Father and give me your spirit. I'm done. So whatever you're going to ask me to leave, I'll leave it. And I'm going to start walking with you now. I'm thankful for my life, but I'm no longer going to trust in my life to make me right. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to end with these words. And actually, this might be just as significant. Lots and lots and lots of us in this church, this is our story. Last week, I told you my story, how I came to faith through my family. But lots of people at C4 would tell you before they became Christians, they were a good, kind, nice person. And here's what I feel so compelled by God to say to you. If you're listening online up in a cottage later or on a plane, would you please, please, please hear this? For you that were good and kind and grew up in sort of okay homes, and then you met Jesus, to you that were spiritual or deeply religious, and then you met Jesus, your story matters so much to our culture. Your story actually is one of the most needed stories to be shared in our culture. And so many of you are still nice after you've met Jesus and so Canadian, and you say sorry all the time that you never share your story. Go tell people why. Go tell your kids, if you've got them, or your neighbors and your coworkers why you were a good person before you met Jesus and why you actually still needed Jesus' salvation. Because the vast majority of people around you are pretty good people that actually think they're not lost. And you know that you were a pretty good person and you were lost. So you need to go tell them in great kindness and humility, ah, I'm you. I'm not better than you. But let me tell you, this is the best conversation over a barbecue with a root beer or a beer, depending on where you land. It's this. Just say to them, you know what? I was good, and I had a good family, and I made a good money, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Let me tell you why I became a Christian anyway. It wasn't to keep going on in my goodness. I realized, actually, I was still lost. So can I pray if that's your story, and maybe we can do this. If that's your story, could you raise your hand? That's your, that's your salvation story. Just raise it. Don't be afraid. Some of you are like, mm, it's okay, go ahead. And let's just take a moment. Just keep your hands raised. We're going to pray for you. God, we're just thankful all these people that you've met across all these places and that they were pretty good people and kind people. And we pray now you'd use them to continue to share this story of the goodness of Jesus. And we pray as a church that many, many, many good and kind people from all around the world who are now making their home, Toronto and beyond, would find out that there is salvation in Jesus even for them. Use our friends to do this, we pray. We pray this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we all said together, amen. Happy Canada Day, everyone. That's a story we all need together. Let's sing together. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.